<laughs> All right. <laughs> Clapping for a dog catching a fry. All right, go. Cool. Good morning. How are we? Good, good. Uh, hey, I'm Andy. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're just, we're just glad you're here this morning. A um, couple of weeks ago, in his video sermon, Brandon shared um, something called a hope chest, right? Now, I don't have a hope chest. I have something I call a fail box, and I like to, um, I like to carry this around with me, keep it in my car. I got a whole bunch in storage, and um, it's just something I like to dig around every once in a while to remind me um, of some failures. And so uh, one of them I like to think about a lot is uh, golf, all right? Now, probably like a lot of you, I had these really high ambitions that I was going to be a professional athlete. Any, any, anyone dream of being a professional athlete when, like, when they were younger? Are any of you professional athletes? No? Okay. Um, so I had these really high, high ambitions to like, you know, be the best golfer on my team at school in Wisconsin and go off to college and be a pro and do all this stuff. And, uh, well, I mean, I got called into ministry, so I had to give that dream up. And, no, I'm just really horrible. Um, I, di- I did all right, but I had a lot of broken clubs, a lot of missed putts, quadruple bogeys, disappointed teammates, uh, let down coaches. I, my dreams of being a pro golfer, failure, all right? Uh, what else? Um, this is my family. No, they're not failures, okay? But this is my family, and they're awesome. Uh, you probably know Christina and Isaac or, or see them around on the weekend. And... Um, you know, I, I got to say, like, my family's awesome, but if you knew what, what they went through, you would think they're amazing human beings, right? Because sometimes I'm just not the most loving husband, best dad. Um, you know, I get tired. I get stressed at the end of the day. I go home. I want to do my own thing. And I put myself before my family, and, and I fail sometimes. But fortunately, we can laugh about it, uh, some of my mess-ups. I remember my first parenting fail, okay? I hear stories about First parent fails, like, you know, they leave their kid on a couch and it falls off, or they feed their kid something they're allergic to, or, you know, a family goes away to Paris over Christmas break and leaves their kid home alone, and um, all these really horrible things that people do. And, uh, well, mine happened um, when Isaac was one week old and it was time for his first bath. And, you know, waiting a week, I don't know if that's a fail, but it was time for his first bath. And um, I was in charge, okay? And he's tiny. He's like this tiny little thing. And so we're giving him a bath in the sink. And you put down this like pad um, so they're not laying in metal. And we put down this pad and we're filling it up with water and we're testing the temperatures. And we don't know what we're doing. So we're using a meat thermometer, okay? And we're like checking the temperature of this thing. And I'm lowering him in. I'm trying not to bump his head because the skull's not formed. And all this, I'm just freaking out. And I get him in there, and I lay him on this pad, and he's fine, and he doesn't cry, and he's just kind of like content. And I was, I was so, it was felt like a victory, right? And in that moment, I let go, and I'm like, yes! And as I went, yes, my hand hit the faucet and turned it on full blast in his face. Yeah. So, I, so he's like, I'm freaking out because I'm waterboarding my kid, and my wife's laughing at me. He survived. <laughs> He survived, uh, and he loves baths to this day, so amen. All right, but, uh, oh, man, another thing that takes up a lot of space in my fail box is, is my past, and as a lot of you probably know, you know, when I was in college, I was in a fraternity. I was a Delta Sig, and I got to be honest, um, my memories from college, I have a lot of really good memories, um, especially from the fraternity. I became the president. I developed as a leader. Most of my best friends to this day are guys that I met through the fraternity, but when I also think back to that time, I think about my lifestyle, and I think about 
who I was, and I think about all the things I did, the, the excessive drinking, the, you know, the blacking out, the chasing girls, this lifestyle that I was leading, I, I sort of wonder, how did I become this guy, this guy that hurt people and used people and lied to people and didn't even care about himself? How did I ever become that guy? And I, I mean, just thinking about it, I kind of feel some shame right now. Um, you know, fails can be big, they can be small, they can be things that we laugh about, we tell stories, or they can be things that are so big we try to cover them up and not, and not talk about them. Well, I'm all for share, shedding light on failure, so I'm going to share with you my biggest fail ever, okay? Are you ready for this? I was in middle school, and uh, I tried to pull off this hairdo. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> yep, that's, uh, that's Andrea, and uh, <laughs> it's not my twin sister, it's me. Um, fail. It was a rough middle school life for me. But anyway, failure, man. We, we've all been through, through failure to some degree. Let me give you a pop quiz. And don't worry, you can't fail this pop quiz. But um, just raise your hand if, you can, if, if, if this has happened to you. How many of you have bombed a test? Failed a class. How many of you have failed a class? F, all right? Um, gotten cut from a team, all right? Been rejected for a date, all right, yeah, <laughs> that guy on the screen, yeah, <laughs> messed up at work, right? Um, you know, lost your cool with a three-year-old, lost your cool with a 13-year-old, <laughs> right? Broken one of the Ten Commandments, broken all ten of the Ten Commandments in one day. Anyone? <laughs> okay, just throwing that out there. Uh, maybe you have, have hurt someone that you really care about, Yeah. If you've ever had any kind of social, athletic, academic, job-related, relational, um, parental, marital failure of any kind, raise your hand. Man, this is a room full of failures. Uh, let's be honest. Um, you know, no matter how good we appear to be, like have it all together, none of us really do, right? None of us have it all together. The way I see it, we are all in the same boat. And we've all struggled with failure to some degree. No one carries around a box of failures like this, right? But we all carry around memories and scars from our past and, and, and our failures. And so there's good news. There's good news because there was a guy named Jesus who came to earth and he said he was God and he said, I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the broken. I'm here for the failures, not, not the perfect people. And so the good news is that there's a, there's a perfect God who gives hope to imperfect people like you and I. And we're in the middle of the series right now called Hope Rising. And really, we've just been talking about life, the ups, the downs, the struggles, and the unexpected. And it doesn't really matter who you are. We've all kind of gone through these moments, right, where we're at a high and everything is great and everything's going our way and we're just happy about life and everything is awesome, right? Everything is awesome. And then there's other points in, we're in our life where we're like down and we're like, what is going on? How did I get here? What did I just do? Right? If I hear another person singing that Lego song, I'm going to slap them in the mouth. Right? Just low, no excitement about life, no real will to keep going. No hope. No hope. And I think a lot of us, we want to know when we're down there, what do we do? What do we do when we're about to give up, when we look at our lives and we feel like failures and we don't want to move on, what do we do? Well, this week, as we look at failure, I want to look at hope through kind of a different lens. I heard a pastor describe hope once that really uh, resonated with me, and he said, hope has two components. It has an object and an expectation. And so, in other words, um, you know, we hope in something or we hope in someone to meet our expectations, 
okay? And so uh, think of common things that we say, like, I hope the weather is nice. I hope the Brewers finally win. I hope Andy hurries up, right? Don't amen that one. Um, but during this series, we've kind of looked at how we, we put our hope in, in something to meet our expectations, right? And during the series, we looked at a bunch of things like jobs to bring us satisfaction, stuff to, to make us feel, feel valuable, people to fill some kind of hole in our life, right? We're hardwired to hope. All of us are. But what happens is we look to all these things, and they don't live up to our expectations, and, and we feel hopeless. Well, today, what we're going to see is that if we've experienced failure or if we would identify ourselves as failures, what's happened is that we have made ourselves the object of hope. And we are counting on ourselves to meet all of life's expectations. You know, I hope I can live up to my parents' expectations. I hope my life matters. I hope I succeed. I hope I find someone. I hope I'm a good husband, a good wife. I hope I'm a good parent, whatever. We all hope that we can meet all these expectations, others' expectations, but we end up failing. We fall short of our own expectations. We fall short of other people's expectations. And we aren't the people who we thought we would be, and we turn out to be someone else who everyone else expected us to be. And we fail. And ultimately, we experience failure because we make ourselves the object of hope, and we are counting on us to meet and fulfill and satisfy all of life's expectations. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work because we were not designed to fill that role. We're going to look at a story today of a guy who failed in the Bible. And what I really like about the Bible is that it's full of these characters, these people who we call uh, heroes of the faith. But if you look at them, they're failures, like epic failures, like murderers, um, adultery, just straight up turn their back on God, run the other way kind of people. Yet God used them and he loved them and he was patient with them and he did amazing things through them. And so really many people in the Bible are no different than us. They're no different than us. And one of these guys' names is Peter. And you've probably heard of Peter. I love reading about Peter because I feel like me and Peter have a lot in common. All right? Peter's actual name was Simon, but Jesus gives him this nickname, Peter, which in Greek is Petros, which means the rock. How cool is that? And Peter was a fisherman. All right? And back then, fishermen were probably really big guys because it was a really hard job. So he's probably a, a big, tough, rough, kind of burly guy, you know, no nonsense. So picture um, like me in sandals. And so Peter, <laughs> why does everyone laugh? So Peter is, um, he's that kind of guy. And he's also got like a really strong personality. John MacArthur, a pastor in his book, 12 Ordinary Men, he calls Peter the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, right? Which seems appropriate. He was the first to speak. He was the first to ask questions. He was speaking out of turn. He, he was just bold. He let things out. And he, no one got in more trouble than Peter did. So kind of, again, like me. But one time, Jesus is with his 12 disciples. And, and he's, he's talking to them. And he says, you know, people are saying a lot of things about me and who I am. But who do you guys say that I am? And Peter, without even blinking, just says, you're the Christ. Right? So Peter was saying, you're the Christ, meaning you're this Jewish Messiah, the promised one who's going to come and he's going to right the wrongs and he's going to take Israel out of oppression and he's going to sit on the throne and he's going to rule. It's a very lofty title, Christ. And Peter says, you're it. And Jesus says, that's right, Peter. That's right, Rocky. Right? And that's why uh, Peter actually gets this name because Jesus says, on this rock, this truth that you just proclaimed, I'm going to build my church. You can read about it in Matthew 16. And so Peter, uh, Peter got it. He was committed. He was loyal. He was bold. He was with Jesus 
until he wasn't, and he failed. Later in the Gospels, we find Jesus having his last meal with, with these guys, and, and things are starting to happen really quickly now. Judas goes off, and, he, and he's going to go betray Jesus and sell him out, and so Jesus is preparing his 11 disciples for what's about to happen, what's about to come, the cross and, and everything after that, and, and here's what he says. This very night, you will all fall away and account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So in other words, you guys are going to ditch me, but Peter He's not having it. He's like, not this guy. Mm-mm. Maybe them. They're weak, but not Peter, not Petros, not the rock, right? That's my translation. But here's what Peter really says. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. But Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Pretty confident. Pretty confident, Peter, right here. I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, Christ, by Peter's own admission, says, you guys are going to go do this, and Peter says, no, you're wrong. I'm not. Peter is making himself to be the object that is going to meet and exceed Jesus' expectations, right? I mean, Jesus just finished saying, you guys are going to do this, right? I'm going to go. I'm going to die. You guys are going to scatter, and Peter's like, not me. I'm not a deserter. He's worried about his ego. He's worried about how he's perceived. He's making himself the object. And while most of us, um, we kind of know the, the rest of that story, right? That night, Jesus is arrested. He's, he's taken away to be crucified, and, and he's taken to a Roman authority. And so Peter kind of follows behind at a distance, and, and he gathers with other people around a fire to warm up. And obviously, he's, he's trying to lay low and blend in, but a little girl spots him, and she comes up to him, and she says, hey, Aren't you, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, little girl. Right? He kind of blows her off, and he blows off Jesus too. He says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Another girl comes up to him, and instead of saying it to Peter, she's like announcing it to everyone around him. Like, hey, this guy's with Jesus. And again, he's like, I don't know him. He denies it. A third time, people come up to him, and this time they're like, buddy, we can tell you're with Jesus. We can tell by your accent. Apparently, he has an accent that puts him with Jesus, right? It'd be like me denying my Wisconsin roots. You sound Canadian. You say bubbler. Don't deny it. <laughs> you're Wisconsin. And here's what Luke says. After he was approached this third time, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine what this had to have been like for Peter? You got Peter, this guy who's he's bold, he's outspoken, he's loyal, he's committed, and he throws Jesus under the bus. Throws him under the bus completely. And then what they do is they take Jesus off, they crucify him, he dies, he's buried, he's gone. That's the last memory Peter has with Jesus, denying him and Jesus looking right at him. He did the one thing he never thought he'd do. He became the one person he swore he would not become. And I think we can all relate to that feeling of becoming that person and doing that thing we never thought we'd be become. You know, I'd never do that, not me. You know, I'd never slip up into that addiction. I'd never gamble away our savings. I'd never cheat on my spouse with, with things in my mind and things on a screen. Not me. 
I would never fall into that lifestyle. I would never do that. I know where the lines are. I know where they are. I won't, I won't, I'd never do that. And we do. And we fail. And we experience shame and guilt over becoming these, per, these people we never thought we'd become. I would, never, I would never lie to anyone. I would never hurt anyone. I'd never do that. I'd never do that to my friends. I would never be that kind of dad. I'd never be that kind of mom. I'd never be that kind of person. And we become that person. And what we're left with is shame and guilt and regret that weighs us down and makes us believe we are failures. When I mess up, my wife likes to remind me that no one is perfect. And she's right. Except technically Jesus was perfect, and I kind of want to argue that sometimes. But that's not the place after I mess up. That would be foolish. Right? So I just say, no one's perfect. But what we do is we, we set out and we live a life that says, I got this. I can be perfect. I am perfect. I don't need help. I got this covered. I'll do it my own. I don't know what you're talking about. Almost like Peter saying to Jesus, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Here's the problem with that. We've convinced ourselves that we are the object of hope, that hope starts with us. And we make ourselves the object, and we've convinced ourselves that we can do it all. We can meet all the expectations that you have for yourself and the world has for you. You can do it on your own, self-sufficient. And it works for a little while. And then you fail. And then you fail. And then you fail. And what happens is you start failing, you start feeling like a failure, and you identify as a failure, and you start thinking, I'm pathetic, I'm worthless, I can't do this, what's the point? And that's the point where you want to give up. No hope. And that is Saturday for Peter, right? I got to believe this is the lowest point for Peter. And I believe it, but, but the good news is that's not the end of Peter's story. And when we look at what happens after that Saturday, and I think we look at, at what Peter did and what he experienced, and we, we take that to heart, we can experience hope um, in our lives when we're about to give up. So first, Peter, he, he owns his failure. He, he goes and he, he disowns Jesus three times. Right? Luke says that Jesus looked right at him when he did it. That's got to be horrible, like awkward. And, and what does Peter do? He remembers the words that Jesus said. He goes outside and he just breaks down and he weeps. What we have is Peter, this guy who's big and tough and rough, the rock. He's reduced to rubble. rubble. And he just, he just breaks down and he weeps about what he's done. And this is the first step to hope. This brokenness, this regret, this ownership of what you've done. Because it leads us to the best thing that we can do in the moment. We own our failure. You can't move past your failure until you own it. When When you own your failure, you're admitting to yourself that I am not the God of my life. I am not qualified to be the God of my life. Right? You cannot be the thing that meets all these expectations. You cannot be the one that, that satisfies everything in this world. Right? It's a way of admitting, I am not the God of my life. And let me tell you, that's a good thing. Because when you get to that point where you're like, I cannot be the God of my life, you can let Jesus be the God of your life. And this is where Peter's at. He's broken, he's owning his failure, and he's ready, he's primed to trust the true source of hope. So the next day, Sunday... Peter and some of the other disciples, they go out fishing because that's what guys do. <laughs> Drown some worms, right? And, and this, they're out fishing and they catch nothing, which has to be even worse. And um, this guy from shore says, hey, have you caught anything? No. 
They're fishermen by trade. Not, you know, that's got to be rough for them. But this guy says, hey, throw your nets over there. Try that. And they try it. And they get this huge catch that the Bible says they can't even haul into their boat. And I bet in that moment, what's going through Peter's mind is a couple years before the same thing happened with Jesus in a boat. Before he was even a follower of Jesus. He's in a boat. Jesus says, throw your net over there. And they get a huge catch. So I bet in that moment, Peter's thinking, oh, man, that's Jesus. And John actually says, it's the Lord. And in that moment, you know what Peter does? He rips off some of his clothes and he jumps out of the boat. It's crazy. I love it. He doesn't wave. He doesn't yell. He's just like splash in going, swimming straight to Jesus. You know why Peter did that? Because up until that point in his life, there was nothing left. There was no hope. There was nothing to turn to. There was nothing to go to. He was hopeless until he realized that Jesus was there. If you're at the point where you want to give up, you need to realize that Jesus is the only source of hope that you have left. He's the only true source of hope that can meet and satisfy what you need. When you've owned your failure and you're sitting in a boat of shame, in a sea of failure, you need to get out of the boat and you need to swim to Jesus. We all need to turn to Jesus. When you own your failure and you admit, I'm not the God of, your, God of my life, and we turn to Jesus, we say, he's the God of my life. And hope for hope to rise up in your life, you got to own your failure. you got to turn to Jesus as the object, the source of your hope. The one you rely on, the one you trust, the one you believe in, who's going to bring hope to your life. So in order to be the husband that you want to be, the wife that you want to be, the parent that you want to be, the spouse you want to be, to be the worker you want to be, the athlete, the man that you want to be, you need Jesus as the source of hope in your life. You need to turn to Jesus, make him the source, not yourself. Right? And this is the beginning of hope rising up in your life. But hope has two components, an object and an expectation. Will Jesus meet your expectations? Absolutely. He is the only thing that exists that can satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. But a lot of us have no idea what that even looks like. The truth is a lot of us are hoping for Jesus to meet expectations that aren't realistic. Like Jesus might not take away the consequences for your failures. He's probably not going to give me a full head of hair. He's probably not going to get the Brewers to the World Series ever, right? For hope to rise up in your life, you need to realize how Jesus will meet the expectations and hopes for your life. And we get a glimpse of this in the rest of Peter's story. So Peter swims out of the boat. He gets out of the boat. He swims to Jesus. He gets to land. He's probably out of breath. He's all wet and sandy and gnarly. And he approaches Jesus, who's cooking fish by a campfire. And he approaches Jesus. You know what Jesus says to him? You moron! Now, that's not what he says. He says, come and have breakfast. This is huge. In this culture, when, when people eat together and they dine together, it's symbolic of, of the relationship that they have, that it's, it's intimate. And Jesus, when Peter approaches him, he has no grudges. He's not looking to shame him. He's not looking to humiliate him. Right? This man who disowned him three days ago, before he went and died, he just simply accepts him as a friend. When you turn to Jesus, you can accept, expect to be accepted. Unconditional acceptance. The word that um, the New Testament writers use a lot is, is justified. Justified meaning that we are, we are made right with God. It's this, it's this truth of like grace and mercy and forgiveness and all this wrapped up in this amazing thing that God accepts each and every one of us. God likes you. 
And what that means for us is that because Jesus is the source of our hope, we no longer have to go out and try to find approval and find acceptance because we've got it. Because of Jesus, we are accepted. Maybe not by the world, but by the creator of the world. And everyone, I mean everyone, deep down, if you look at yourself, you long for acceptance. You long for approval. We all could say, I hope that I'm loved. I hope that I'm wanted in this world. And we proceed and we proceed to go live in a way where we're going to go try to find that approval. We're going to do whatever we can that people accept us. We're going to do whatever we can that people love us. And we fail. And we don't feel accepted. But when you turn to Jesus, he accepts you. Not because of your effort, what you do, what you've done. He accepts you simply because you've turned to him. Right? This is huge because in our in our lives, we're going to experience failure till you die. And it's going to lead you to believe that you are not worthy, you are not acceptable. But Jesus says, your acceptance isn't based on what you do, your effort, your success, your failures, nothing. Your acceptance is based on you coming to me. Jesus accepts everyone who turns to him in hope. After breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside and they have a, they have a little conversation. And John says it like this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you, Jesus said. Feed my lambs. And they kind of repeat this exchange two more times. And by the end, Peter's like, you know everything. You know I love you, right? Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to say he loves him, almost like he's making up for the three opportunities when he denied even knowing him. It's got to be a powerful moment for Peter where he can get it right. And they're using different words in Greek here. Uh, that kind of gets lost in the translation. Peter, or Jesus is saying agape, which is sacrificial love, and Peter's saying phileo, which is a brotherly love, almost like Peter's saying, Jesus, I could never love you the way you have loved me. It's too perfect. It's too amazing. But I love you like a brother. I do. You know it, and Jesus does know it, which is why he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Here's what you can expect when you turn to Jesus. You can expect acceptance, and you can find you can expect to find a new purpose. For Peter, it was to go and to take care of people and to start the church and get things going, right? Along with turning to Jesus for hope comes a purpose, a meaning, a challenge, a calling. Almost like Jesus is saying, you love me? Then go live for me. And a lot of us take this to mean, okay, I'm gonna go live for Jesus. I'm gonna go make up for my past. I'm gonna go try to, try to pay Jesus back for what he had to do for me on the cross. I'm gonna get good with God and that is all wrong. We don't have to work or do anything to gain acceptance. We already have acceptance. We work because we have acceptance. Almost, it's basically Jesus is saying, feed my sheep. He's not saying, feed my sheep, go plant a church and then come back and we'll see if we can eat breakfast, right? No, that's not what he does. He accepts Peter first and then he gives them this new purpose in life. If you turn to Jesus for hope, you will be given a new purpose in this life. And we are all called to go and, and love God and serve God and serve other people in different and challenging ways. We're all given a new meeting. And that's, that's important because we all have a desire deep down to live a life that matters. No one wants to go through life and say, well, that was pointless, right? All of us deep down want to live a life that matters. And we turn to Jesus for hope and we are given meaning. We are given purpose, right? To go and fulfill his mission. Jesus gives purpose to everyone who turns to him for hope. Now you might think, well, what if I fail? I hope I don't fail at this purpose. And that is the wrong mindset because that puts you right back in the object seat. 
where you are hoping in yourself that you can fulfill this purpose that Jesus has given you. But when you turn to Jesus for hope, what you need to realize is that he helps us. He sends us a helper. Long before the events of the story took place, Jesus promised to send a helper. He says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I will go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Peter receives this helper, the Holy Spirit, and he fulfills his challenge to go and to to feed the sheep and to get the church going. And he goes and he does these amazing things and he writes these letters that are now part of the Bible. But he didn't do it on his own. He didn't do it by his own might or his own effort or his own will. He did this because his hope, firmly planted in Jesus, knowing he was accepted even though he failed, and he did fail, he fulfilled his purpose with the help of the Holy Spirit. You too have the Spirit if you've turned to Jesus for hope. If you turn to Jesus for hope, you will get the Spirit. And he will help you become the person that you ought to be. Do the things that you ought to do. Fulfill this purpose and this mission that Jesus has given us. When you turn to Jesus for hope, you can expect a helper. You are never on your own. It is not up to you. right? Jesus doesn't give you a purpose. Go pull up your bootstraps and get this done. No. He sends us a helper. He is always with us. It's not up to us to be the man. It's up to us to follow, to pray, to seek, to listen, and to obey. That's real success. You're never on your own. Jesus helps everyone who turns to him for hope. So hope arises in your life. When, when we look at our failures, we look at our failures and we own them, we turn to Jesus as the object, the source of hope, and he will accept us unconditionally. He will give your life a purpose, and he will help you carry it out. And it can change you just like it changed Peter. This is what I love about Peter. We get a whole like, spectrum of his life from failure to just this awesome guy. <laughs> Peter went on to be a leader of the church to get things going. He gave one of the first gospel messages about Jesus and 3,000 people got baptized. That's crazy, right? This is what Jesus does to failures. He gives us hope and he transforms us. Right? When Peter went on and he, he preached this amazing sermon that 3,000 people are baptized, you got you to gotta think, is baptism your first step? Right? If today has resonated with you, maybe baptism is where you need to start. Right? We have a baptism service coming up the end of May, and uh, it might be your time. Right? Baptism is symbolic of what we've talked about today. When you, when you get baptized, you go down and under the water and you come back up symbolizing or identifying yourself with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And when you choose to get baptized, it's like you're saying, you know what, that failure, that's mine, but I'm giving it up. I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm turning away. I'm done with that. And I'm turning to him for hope as a source of my life. Right? Baptism is just this amazing symbolic thing of what we're talking about. And it, and it reminds me that this box, right, this failure, everything that I thought I was, yeah, I mess up. I fail. I fail people all the time. I have mistakes. I have a past that is bad. But I am not a failure. I am a follower. I'm a follower who fails sometimes because I forget that I'm loved. I forget that I'm accepted. I forget that I have a new purpose in life, and I forget that I have the power to do all this. I forget, and I fail. But I'm not a failure. I'm a follower, and I've been transformed, right? When we fail, we all fail. We all fail. We're all in the same boat together. 
But you have to understand that hope starts when you get out of the boat and you swim to Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. And um, communion is open to all followers of Jesus. We take the bread that represents his body, and we take the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us, and we take it in and we remember the price that Jesus had to pay because he loved us so much. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to uh, take communion. Lord, we just uh, we thank you for... Um, we thank you for this story of Peter's life and, and the example um, and the encouragement that we find in it that no matter where we are in life, we can identify, him, identify ourselves with him somehow. Um, I pray for anyone here that feels like they, they are a failure, that there is no hope, that they find it in you, that they find that Jesus is this amazing person who, who gave it all for us. Um, and I pray that we all turn to him as the object, that we take the hope off ourselves, off our shoulders, we say, I'm done with that. And we turn to the real source who loves us, who accepts us no matter what we give him, who gives us a purpose, something that lives long beyond our life here. And he gives us help because you're not expecting us to do this on our own. Oh, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.